2: Let's begin. Welcome back to the Relatable Voice podcast. Today, the RV is headed to Malibu to speak with Dr. Rand McClain. Dr. McClain is a doctor and new author of the book, Cheating Death, the new science of living longer and better, which comes out next January. So Dr. Rand, welcome to the RV.
0: Thank you. Thank you for
2: having me. I'm super excited to talk with you. Your career path has been quite an interesting one. So before becoming a doctor, you've been a stuntman. You've worked at one of the big four accounting firms, a professional boxer in Argentina. So is there anything you can't do?
0: (laughs) Well, certainly those things that I tried and that I didn't get as successful as I as I would have liked. Yes, no, well, thank you for the, yeah. I, I think it's more uh, an issue of being uh, not not able to focus for very long too. So I, I don't get much credit for that. But I have to say, after doing those things, and we alluded to this a little bit earlier about our some similarities in our careers, I think at some point. Uh, Certainly, if you've tried different things, it makes it easier to to settle in and focus on one because I think you know more about what you truly like, having experienced some things that you don't much like or don't like as much for certain. So this is my last career for sure.
2: (laughs) Okay, let's see. Maybe you start singing or playing an instrument.
0: That's not going to happen. You can hear my voice right now. No, no singing in the in, in the future. Yeah,
2: yeah, I cannot sing (laughs) <laughs> and what was it like living in argentina were you able to communicate in spanish
0: i could I, you know i grew up in south florida where we had a, a strong cuban and then later south american influence so i had heard the language a lot growing up and then uh, i would go down there for um, long periods at a time uh, for certain projects um And then, you know, I was single back then. So as we were also talking about, very easy to learn a language when you're immersed and you have someone that you're uh, having uh, or you get to speak with regularly, but you have to figure out how to communicate. So I, I picked up the Spanish pretty quickly.
2: And you got into medical school at the age of 37, which is usually later than we'd expect. What made you want to become doctor?
0: You know, I think I always, in the back of my mind, I wanted to be a physician. I remember since I was very young, uh, liking the idea of being able to control your health, manipulate it. I had the great fortune of two parents that were uh, very much interested in being uh, parents. And they provided us with a, 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 a small but significant library of books to choose from. And the first one I ever read was um, I was about 11 years old. I read uh, Adele Davis's book about getting well or getting fit. I don't remember the exact title, but I was amazed at how easily you could you could uh, affect your health with something as simple as nutrition. And so I was always fascinated. I just don't think I ever had the focus. And I think I was honestly a little bit nervous about going off on such a committed path to become you know, a physician. And then uh, I was traveling um, cross-country, I was expecting a daughter, and I thought, you know, it's time to, to settle into something because you have another responsibility here, and I just, I really, I, I, uh, I had all of I-10, which crosses the country from coast to coast to think about it, and I said to myself, you know, what do you really, really want to do, and I just remembered my whole life. I mean, I went through a lot of things, which some of which I, I uh, document a little bit in the book just to explain, you know, I, I've had some experiences that patients have been through, too, probably too many. Um, But I I just, it it struck me that the thing to do that I was going to really enjoy the most was to get into medicine. And I said, let's do it. And here we are.
2: And you co-founded your clinic, Regenerative and Sports Medicine, where you even have celebrities and athletes as patients. So what exactly is regenerative medicine?
0: Well, regenerative medicine isn't a true specialty like internal medicine or or rheumatology or something like that. It's, it's a, a name we give to this area of medicine, which I call health optimization for people that have, uh, for whatever reason, I mean, just being on the planet, we're degenerating, you know, as we age and, and, you know, there's some of us that don't want to go down that spiral so quickly uh, and want to make the effort to avoid it. And we have, a lot of tools now that can help us regenerate as opposed to degenerate and sort of, uh, as they say, turn turn back the clock, at least the expression of the clock. Chronologically, we're going to age no matter what. We don't have control of that, but our what we refer to as our biological age, that we have some control over. And uh, we can still feel and act like we're 40, for example, when we're 60. And who wouldn't want to do that if we're not Robin, Peter, to pay Paul? And we're not.
2: Yeah. So this type of medicine is completely different than the mainstream form of healthcare that focuses primarily on treating the symptoms. Is that correct?
0: Unfortunately you're you're correct, but I, I hope and, and I think well, part of the purpose of the book is to help in that change because I think the issue right now is that there's ignorance as to what's available out there. And a lot of our, for example, health maintenance organizations are driven. And it's not a conspiracy. It's just a fact by, by money and financial gain. It's a business. And so there are some pressures that are there that would make us perhaps lose sight or not focus on some better methods for the patient that might be more costly. In some cases, it's not even a matter of cost. It's a matter of just this is the old way, and this is the way we're going to continue to do it. And so, I think as as time progresses and the ignorance is lifted, I think a lot of this stuff, by necessity, will have to be mainstream. If driven by no other group than the patients themselves, they're going to demand it as part of their, you know, insurance premium paid uh, coverage.
2: Right. Exactly. I agree completely. And your new book coming out called. Cheating Death. I just love this title. Before I forget. (laughs) love it. Can you quickly tell us what the book is about?
0: Well, it talks about the different methods we have for, as I said earlier, turning back the clock, so to speak, ways of uh, having our biological age be lower than our chronological age. And really what that boils down to is being able to enjoy quality of life for a longer period while we're on the planet. Uh, Who doesn't want to be able to keep up on the basketball court, for example, with not just their son or daughter, but their grandson or granddaughter? If that's an option, why wouldn't we want to take it? And so the, the real purpose of the book, and it is selfish too, because it helps all of us in the profession to get this information disseminated to as many people as possible because not only will the patient help but the the profession itself will help because as i alluded to earlier we're going to demand as humans that are in this you know population that is helped by medicine we're going to demand for more discoveries and more inventions and 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 research to be done in these areas because we want it and it's and it's and it's going to help us enjoy the time we're here that much more
2: yeah and also you briefly mentioned that mainstream medicine is very financially driven. So can you tell us more about what really inspired you to write this book? What happened that you just decided that now it's time for me to write this book?
0: Well, I think very similar to your story we're discussing before the program. Um, I can remember, I think it was probably sometime in March, (laughs) uh at the beginning of COVID, sitting in my backyard at, at one o'clock in the afternoon, sunburnt and having a couple beers and thinking, okay, you know, three days of this and I'm already tired. This is not a this is not fun. I want to do something else. I'm certainly not ready to retire yet. And um I told my wife that and asked her, because she was with me throughout this period going through school and whatnot, if she wouldn't mind if I staved off retirement for a bit longer and took on that some is. more projects. And again, it just struck me that I would like to, you know, further the profession, if you will. This is some contribution to, again, get the word out. And so she said yes. Um, and I joke she's very expensive. So, of course, she wants me to say yes and keep working. <laughs> she is. Oh, but she was very kind and, and, and uh, you know, agreeing that, you know, this is not the time to, to retire. And in the book, you know, I, uh, along with, you know, when in my practice with patients, I, I just, you know, the very simple things are, are enumerated, uh, things that you can do by yourself at home, so to speak, You know the, the do-it-yourself techniques, uh, all the way up to some of the things that are currently available to everybody if you are willing to do the work to, uh, on the one hand, simply ask your physician, and that might be all it takes, or maybe you have to find uh, a study, or you might have to travel to a different area. Either of the world, or the country, or a different state where it's being offered, because it's fairly new and it's not everywhere. But you know, whether it's gene editing or stem cell uh, uh, injections or infusions or IV nutrition or taking certain drugs or supplements that we know can help with this whole concept of improving health span, I try and uh, tick off the ones that are, are are available to us today. And of course, that's going to change. Uh, I was talking with you earlier. I, I'm not sure I'm ever going to do another book. It's a lot of work, right, as as you admit to, too. But, you know, there's going to be room for another book in in another year or so because it's so rapidly changing that I I hope it's helpful in keeping track of it so people can use it.
2: And you talk about menopause versus menopause, also known as andropause. Out of curiosity, do women truly have it worse than men?
0: I would say yes. It's funny you ask that question. I never thought of it that way before, but only because, yeah, I mean, with men, it's funny. You watch them. They come in with symptoms of low testosterone, you know, decreased energy, decreased libido, decreased sense of well-being, difficulty manipulating their their body composition, and you give them the replacement testosterone they need, and their tails are wagging, and they're happy, and that's pretty much, you know, the, the work done. With females, though, it's not just about testosterone. The same things do apply. But you have other hormones, particularly estrogen, which, when they are deficient, cause wholly separate symptoms that, for the most part, guys do not relate to because they don't feel them. But estrogen deficiency symptoms can be uh, – well, they can lead to uh, palpitations, uh, hot flashes and night sweats, which you know women know about, vaginal dryness eventually. So, um, yeah, I would say women are a little bit more difficult – to deal with that and then some of the, the 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 uh potential side effects men are willing to deal with uh much more so than women because of um what i would say is probably more of a cultural thing for example men and women have hair in the same places just women a lot less of it and in some cultures uh i would say many of them women do a lot to hide that uh you know the, the, the same hair if you will In the same places, I mean, but you know, a lot less of it. And so, if one of the metabolites of testosterone, dihydrotestosterone, makes for more hair growth, for example, the ones that you know, most women have, but don't admit to it until you know, well after their 30s into their 70s or 80s. And when grandma says, Okay, I'm done with this, I don't care anymore, and stops plucking them, but they've been there for the longest time, but you know. The the metabolites of testosterone, if they're not controlled, can, can accelerate the growth of those. So for a guy, who cares? For a girl, in a lot of cultures, they say, "Well, I don't want that," and and I should has uh, uh, hasten to add that we have ways of controlling that. So anyone who's listening, don't run away thinking, "Oh, I'm not doing that." Uh, but I'm just saying that you know, it comes with a, a stigma, if you will, and uh, you know there's some resistance because of the thought that these things aren't uh, controllable. And uh, certainly uh, if they they rear their head, and I would say it happens maybe 20, 25% of the time, there's a little bit of angst until we fix that, right? And so uh, back to your question, yeah, women, we have more considerations. I won't say you're more difficult. I would argue they're a lot more fun because we have things that we can manipulate and and figure out how to to optimize uh, more so than just testosterone. But more issues on the table with females than males, I would say. It's
1: time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash.
2: How do you take control of your hormones? Do we need to run blood tests monthly? Or
0: Well, I would argue because, of course, I, I say this probably too often, but we treat people, not numbers. So the first thing is to recognize what symptoms you're having, what are your chief complaints, we would say, in medicine, and go to your physician. Now, you may have an inkling of what those Uh, driving forces are in those signs and symptoms because of Dr. Google being so easily accessed these days. You know, People go online and say, oh, that sounds like low testosterone. But in any event, start with, hey, I have symptoms that I I don't like and I don't want to change and go to your physician. And then typically your physician will ask to get some laboratory assays to confirm or deny his or her suspicions about what it is that's causing your, your signs and symptoms. And um, if it is testosterone or estrogen uh, deficiency, um, the numbers will help support that because we'll typically see, you know, a lower than, than, uh, than what is typical number, although that's very individualized. You know, you might have, for example, always had a higher testosterone level than the average. And so yours creeps to slightly below average and uh you may not feel your usual self and yet if you were to compare yourself to the quote unquote average which by the way is just a t- statistic it's not a real being it's an it's a mythical being right, right. then then it, the numbers might not be so helpful but certainly they would be helpful if you had the, the top 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 level and still uh we're complaining of signs and symptoms uh we might look somewhere else in other words to other than low testosterone as, as the cause of those symptoms, but. Again, it it first starts with you, how you're feeling, and then with the assistance of a physician, we can figure it out and we get you on uh, what we refer to as replacement therapy.
2: Thank you. And you have a beautiful wife and three children. Parenthood doesn't always mix well with health because we worry so much about our kids do you have any advice for parents so that their children can also strive for optimal health
0: first of all thank you and yes of course i would say as with most things in parenting what's the best thing to give your children an example to follow right so start with your own health i can say for sure that's how i was affected my mother was one of the first people to show an interest in nutrition long before we were even talking about nutrition or there were nutritionists, hence the book that was on the shelf from Adele Davis. We were being served, uh, I always bring this up because it's so unpalatable, but we grew up on wheat germ pancakes. We didn't have those nice, sweet, fluffy ones, right, that you get at a deli or uh, you know something like that. We had wheat germ pancakes and we weren't allowed syrup. We could put some, a little bit of honey on it or some jam or whatnot, but we got used to that. And that's the way my parents lived and they put that on us. And, you know, look at the time you can compare, but in the back of our minds, we always knew that our parents cared. And that's why we were, you know, we were limited to one night of Halloween candy and then it all got thrown out, all that kind of stuff. Again, leading by example, And uh, I can't, I mean, I'm so thankful I can't express it enough that my parents cared enough to do that. And I think to answer your question, that's how you do it. You lead by example and you enforce the rules and stick to your guns, right?
2: Mm -hmm. Thank you. And you are also investigating treating post-conclusion syndrome using stem cells. You are an athlete, so I'm sure you've seen how severe they can be. Can you tell us more about this study?
0: Yes. So, we have studies outside the country, outside the US, that show that post concussion syndrome can be treated with autologous stem cells, the stem cells that were uh, taken from your own body uh, intravenously. In other words, we're not poking a needle in the skull, into the brain, or anything like that. We're doing it through infusions. And uh, we've had great success. We're about halfway through our initial study in something called an, invest, an Investigational New Drug Application because here in the States, until recently, the FDA uh, was enforcing their opinion that the stem cells are considered a drug. So if you do anything more than mini, minimally manipulate them, extracting them and then put, and growing them and putting them back in, is considered a drug. So we, are, we started the process, uh, a group, uh, American Cryostem, which is a public health company, uh, that is involved in these processes to, to show that it can work and we follow the rules so that we call it a drug. Now, all that's changed. Anyway, we have shown uh, thus far great results in the U.S., and there are others outside the country that show the same thing. But with animals, I mean, one of the most striking examples of how well it works, we were using rats, and we would create a lesion on the brain on half the rats and not on the other half, and on those that received the treatment, um, or half of those that uh, received treatment and the other half that didn't, all of them with lesions, the ones that received the treatment uh, within 72 hours were completely cured. And we demonstrated this not only with testing within a maze and other uh, examples of, of the rat showing its usual behavior and usual level of intelligence, but we would do post-mortems where we could see visibly the signs, gross signs of lesion in the brain on those that were not treated versus those that were treated. It was remarkable. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll see where this leads uh, sort of as an aside, uh, you know, in sport, as you mentioned, there's a lot of athletes that suffer from concussions. And, uh, you know, if we can convince the NFL and the NHL and some of these other contact sports To harvest these cells in their athletes, uh, we can save the athletes a lot of health issues and the sports teams financially a lot of money because, you know, it's one thing to treat uh, after the fact uh, where there's damage that is much, much harder to treat than acutely within 72 hours, which is very easy. You can, you could treat within an hour. And have an athlete back on the field very quickly and with zero deficits there there from and uh, there forward. uh, To me, it's a no-brainer, but we'll we'll see. No pun intended, by the way.
2: (laughs) Hopefully, this treatment can be approved in a near future.
0: Well, it's interesting because Dr. Berman is one of the leaders in the field. And he decided early on to contest the FDA and he continued to do the procedures. The FDA brought him to court, or i yeah, I think it was, the FDA brought him to court. At any rate, the long and short of it is, there was a uh, uh, findings of fact and conclusions of law published in the last two months. It was a brilliantly written opinion that says, nope, we disagree with the FDA, they cannot be considered drugs, and so it looks like, uh, because the the 30-day window of appeal that was available to the FDA has passed. It looks like we're now going to be able to use stem cells in the United States, which is long overdue.
2: Hopefully. Thank you so much. We need you, Dr. Rand. We need you. Please don't give up.
0: <laughs> well, you won't see me giving up. But yeah, I think you'll see a lot of doctors that are going to start to use stem cells because of its potential with so many different disease states.
2: Mm-hmm. Dr. Rand, where can we find you online? Find your book, your clinic, and please share with us all your contacts.
0: Well, thank you. The website is PSR, Papa Sierra Romeo, Med, like medical.com. PSRMed.com. And uh, we're in Santa Monica, California, as well as Houston, Texas, in the woodlands. And also Manhattan Beach, uh, which is a little bit further down the road, south. But that's our main site, I would say, in Santa Monica. Uh, what else did you ask me? Where else? Oh, the book. Uh, the book can be bought on Amazon. I think it will also – no, I know it will also be in retail outlets, but I think uh, Amazon makes it easy on anyone pretty much everywhere in the world, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't have a Prime account, uh, you're way behind the times at this point. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh but it's, uh, well, you already said it. It's, the book is named Cheating uh, Death, and it uh, should be available now uh, for pre order, and it'll come out officially in at the end of January. Thank you for that, by the way.
2: Of course, at the end of January, we will give you a shout out. So we cannot lose this opportunity to read more and understand because your book can bring us hope. Because sometimes we don't know what to do. We just follow what you know everybody's doing but there are more things that we can do
0: oh and and that that lends to part of the motivation behind it because isn't that sad that someone would not would not have access to a treatment simply because they didn't know about it that's that's a sin uh some of these treatments are not the most affordable but you know i have patients uh that have the ability to write a check for anything they want you can write a check for anything. actually pay for it is what I mean to say. And then I have patients that, uh, you know, use what we call their mattress money. You know They've saved up $25,000 or whatever, and will do whatever they can. And, and why not? You know, something is very debilitating. Quality of life is huge, right? If you can't uh, – if you need stem cells, if that's the best solution for, say, a, a, a shoulder injury, and if you can't play tennis because – of your shoulder injury and that's your life that's your you know whether you're a pro or it's just that's your release and you like playing five days a week if you can't do it that twenty five thousand to you might be your entire savings but it's also the source of you know your health and the things that you enjoy while you're on the planet so i see all kinds and, and again you know uh, the cost shouldn't matter as much as to me first and foremost you should have the option. You should know about it and be able to decide for yourself if it's worth it to you, right?
2: Exactly. Thank you very much for your time, for your participation. You know that our doors are always open for you. Well, thank you very much. (laughs) Thank
0: you for having me. And uh, Ditto, anytime, I'm, I'm happy to help. Please.
2: Thank you very much.